Alan White here. You're probably aware that I've written a few books, including Exponential Groups, Unleashing Your Church's Potential. But did you know that I also write books for other people? That's right. I've developed projects for people like Rick Warren, Dr. Tony Evans, Chip Ingram, Doug Fields, Kenny Luck, and others. Have you thought about a writing project, but you just can't get to it? Check out my new site, allen-writes.com. That's A-L-L-E-M dash W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. Allen-writes.com. I can help you with your book, workbook, study guide, or even teaching video scripts. Get ready for the fall 2022 small group boom. Start your own churchwide campaign now at allen-writes.com. And now on to today's episode. Now, we don't usually think about ambition and leading a quiet life as going together. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's like, hey, instead of worrying about like how many people showed up this week, how about if you just nail Tuesday? Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Our guest today is Lance Witt. Lance is the founder of Replenish Ministries. Replenish is dedicated to helping people in ministry live and lead from a healthy soul. Along with speaking and consulting, Lance does life plans, individual life coaching, and team development. Lance has a brand new book called Your One Life. Own it, live it, love it. He's also the author of Replenish and High Impact Teams. Lance served for 20 years as the senior pastor before serving seven years as an executive teaching pastor at Saddleback Church in Southern California. He led Saddleback's spiritual growth campaigns such as 40 Days of Purpose and 40 Days of Community. Lance has been married to his wife, Connie, for 43 years, and they have two married children and four beautiful granddaughters. For more information on Lance and this episode, go to alanwhite.org forward slash podcast. Now, my conversation with Lance Witt. Lance, thank you so much for joining me. I've really been looking forward to this. Hey, Alan, it is great to see you again and to be with you. I am very excited to have this time with you. Well, I've certainly gained a lot, you know, through your work at Replenish and uh, as well as a lot of other pastors have. And, uh, you know, I affectionately, you know, not out loud, but in my mind, I refer to you as the pastor of chill. I receive that title gladly and will wear it uh, as a badge of honor. There you go. There you go. I think it's a good title. Maybe you should get a little business card, Pastor Chill. Obviously, the last two years have discombobulated everything, changed everything for churches that have been through a lot of ups and downs and especially downs. A lot of things we worked very hard for are not there or not quite there the way that they were. What kind of lessons should pastors be learning from these last two years? That's such a great question. And I think before we quickly rush to, here's the five lessons every pastor should learn, (laughs) I think we should stop and at least for a moment, just acknowledge, hey, these last two years, it was real and it was a deal and it was stressful. And there was so much pivoting and criticism. And so pastor, if you are still standing and you have navigated the last couple of years, I mean, that has been no small task. And so I think one, just to acknowledge, 
it has been really hard. But when when you ask that question, a couple of things come to my mind. I think first off, we just learned the lesson like, boy, there's a lot in this world that we don't control. I don't control when people are going to feel comfortable coming back. I don't control the economy. I don't, there's so much I don't control. And so I think one of the lessons for me, Alan, is we've got to really lead ourselves well, because mm -hmm. that's the one thing I do control. And I, I quote Henry Cloud a lot when he says, you are ridiculously in charge of your life. And I think for me, that's a good lesson. Like, hey, in a, in a world that is spinning, the one thing I can control is sort of how I'm doing. And I think if we could just get that, um, our lives would be a lot better. But obviously there's some other things that we could spend time on this, but I think we learned like how immature the church really is. People were not as grounded biblically. They don't have a Christian worldview. They don't know how to think kingdom. And I think COVID sort of exposed all that. Um, Another one that I think we're now seeing, Alan, is digital wasn't the magic bullet. You know, everybody early on was talking about, oh, this is the new way we're going to do church. It's going to be all digital. You better have a pastor who's in charge of your digital strategy. And while I think there's some validity to that, it wasn't the solve all magical formula for, you know, us doing church going forward. And then I, I here's the last thing I'd say on this one. It just raised the importance of discipling and mm -hmm. how important it is that like we have a strategy beyond just gathering people on the weekend. So again, there's layers underneath each of those, but for me, those are some of the high level lessons I would mention. Yeah, I think they're, they're good. I think that, you know, just so much dependence on the weekend service. I think some assumptions that the weekend service was doing far more than what it was actually doing. Yeah, that's um, well said. But then I think there's also that piece where people had, you know, they felt successful because the room was full. And then the room became, well, completely empty for a while. And then people gradually started coming back. But even talking to pastors this week about their Easter attendance, they're still not back to, some of them are not back to where they were in regular attendance. They're certainly not back to where they were in Easter 2019. So in all of that, I think there's a sense of loss because you've worked very hard. You had people, they were, they were there. I don't want to say engaged, they were there. Right. Um, but, but then also there's that feeling of feeling a little bit like a failure because the things that you were doing hard that seemed to be working so well before are not working the way that they were. And so now there's a sense of loss and the sense of failure I know there's a lot in there probably to psychoanalyze. What's your take? What's your take of the pastor that's like came off of Easter. It wasn't the big service he was counting on and now is not so feeling so good about this and wondering, you know, should I continue? And what, yeah. what's your take? I, I think first off, um, every pastor, I think in the country is feeling this sense of, Hey, we're in a rebuilding season. You know, there, uh, I have one pastor friend. He talks about that. 2019 and before, a lot of churches were in harvest season. Mm -hmm. And we were seeing people come to Christ. Our attendances were growing. We were launching campuses. Groups were multiplying. And then the COVID hit. And so the result now is that we're no longer in the harvesting season, but we're now um, in the planting season. And it's a totally different season. And, you know, it has different realities attached to it. And so I think 
Pastor, rather than longing for 2019, I think it's time for us to turn the corner and go, okay, it's not a right or a wrong, but we've moved out of harvest season into planting season. And it means some things different for how we lead and for how our staff teams lead as well. I think another thing, Alan, related to this is as Christian leaders, we don't do grief and loss very well. Yeah. Um, we just want to make the next right decision, get back, uh, you know, to where we were before. And so we don't really give ourselves permission to actually just uh, take a moment to grieve what we lost. Um, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. And so many of the Psalms are about, you know, people and, and especially David expressing loss and grief about that loss. And I, I, and so I would just say, if I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with a pastor who might be listening, I would say, hey, God made you a person before he made you a pastor. Mm. And you need to embrace your humanity and it's okay to grieve the loss. And I think we do ourselves harm when we move on too quickly. Um, but I do think it's a moment to actually, Alan, slow down and reflect on the question, what is God up to and how is he coming to me as a person and how is he coming to us as a congregation? To be reflective about that. And I don't think he's saying the same thing to every congregation, but I do think we're in a season of pruning and sifting. And while that is painful, I think generally it's good when we go through those seasons. It's not fun in the moment, but on the other side of it, we're going to see that God reshaped some things and maybe got us um, weaned from our obsession with numbers, our obsession with weekend attendance, our obsession with bells and whistles, you know, and probably going to serve the church well. I, I think, yes, it has been a time of loss. But now I'm excited about some things I'm seeing emerge within the church. And so I, I hope I'm hopeful for where we can move to. Yeah, I was going to say the book of Numbers is far more popular than the book of Lamentations. <laughs> true. Until but, you start reading it. That's true. That's both right. a little bit challenging. Yes, indeed they are. But I, I think, that, you know, what what you're saying, I, I, I fully believe because it's been a rough season and yet it wasn't unintentional. God had an intention yeah. in it. And so regardless of what people believe about the nature of the pandemic and whether it was intentional or accidental or natural, right. or you know, it happened, it happened. And in that God had a purpose in it. And I think we're still trying to sort out what that purpose is. But I, I think that, you know, the other side of it is, and I, I did a little post a week or so ago that, to pastors that was said, pastor, you're not your numbers, mm -hmm. but there is kind of that feeling of this was the scorecard. And so now for a little more than two years, if that's the scorecard, I'm not feeling so good about myself to know where to go. As you said, we can't go, we can't go backward, but let's talk about that part because I think there's an unhealth in how you feel about yourself as a reflection of what your church has produced or what your crowd is on Sunday, how, how do we get a grip on that? And regardless of whether we've been planted in the middle of nowhere with a church that's declining, that they don't hardly have a population to support, you know, they can't support a mega church versus I was in a big town, I had a big church, and now I got half of what I've got. 
Um, let's talk about the implications of how you feel about yourself and how much should that be tied up in what you're doing and the results that you're seeing. Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes, in, and I talk about this in the Replenish book, I'll say that all of us live life on two stages. There's a front stage and a back stage. And the front stage is the public world of leadership. And it's where the spotlight's on us. It's where people notice us. It's where they pay attention to us. And the danger for those of us in ministry is we can begin to find our entire sense of significance and value in how well we do on the front stage by how big the crowd is, by how fast our church is growing. We also have a backstage. That's the private world of who we are off the platform, who we are when we're not on as the pastor. And, and I do think there's, most of us grew up in a very doing leader vision sort of culture. And so our success was determined by what we did and what we accomplished. And so I think what I, over the last 15 years, have been really working on is doing that kind of hard internal work of my soul to differentiate Lance as a person from Lance as a pastor, Lance as a leader, Lance as a doer. And, and so I think for, you know, I would say for pastors like, yeah, COVID probably shook you down to the core and it may be that some of us need to do some of that hard internal work about really where our significance comes from, where we find our sense of value, because we're not getting the same strokes that we did in 2019. And so for me, it's been a long but painful journey of kind of really coming to that place where I can differentiate who Lance is as a person from what Lance is accomplishing as a leader. And while that's been painful, it's also been incredibly freeing mm -hmm. because now I just kind of like, hey, I need to be faithful to what God's called me to do. And I, I am more able these days to trust him with the results. And, and one of the statements I make a lot, and I just want to remind pastors of this, that faithfulness is king, fruitfulness is queen. Mm. Like they both matter. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, Jesus celebrated faithfulness above everything. And so if you are being faithful, if you are shepherding your people well, if you are preaching the word of God, if you are being evangelistic, you are being successful. Regardless of what the numbers say, regardless of whether things are up and to the right, in God's eyes, you are being successful. But I know how hard it is to actually internally believe that because for most of us, that's not the story we're telling ourselves. Yeah, no, that and that makes sense. But that faithful piece, I think too, because it's not just a pastor's world that's been discombobulated in the last two yeah. years. It's been everybody in the church. I mean, the top selling Bible studies at Zondervan right now all have to do with stress and anxiety. So everybody's feeling it. And I think there's something to be said to the faithfulness of a pastor to his congregation when their lives have all been going crazy. That, you know, if if a pastor can be steady, if a pastor can continue to lead them to that, the rock that's higher than I, you know, cling to that, you know, that's a, that's a great service to yeah. the congregation. It's just that we don't get like awards and best-selling yeah. or, you know, whatever off those accolades, which maybe a lot of that was compensating for how we felt ourse about ourselves in the first place, you know? Yeah. Uh, so in this chapter I, I have in this new book I wrote, I talk about winning the battle of the daily and mm. sort of like, 
again, the one thing I can control is sort of how I do my day. And I've been really taken, Alan, by this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Hmm. Now, we don't usually think about ambition and leading a quiet life as going together. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's like, hey, instead of worrying about like how many people showed up this week, how about if you just nail Tuesday? Instead of worrying about whether or not the, the numbers are up and to the right, how about if I just crush Thursday and do Thursday really well? And, and I think, again, be faithful to what God called me to do today, and then I can leave the results up to him. Hmm. So ambitious living a quiet life. Yeah. That's interesting, especially in the world of social media. Yeah. You know, where you're supposed to like put yourself out there and, you know, somebody asked if I was on TikTok, why I wasn't on TikTok. I said, because I can't dance, Um, which, you know, in the church I grew up in, that was considered a sin. So, you know, that's, that's, that will not do any of that. But let's talk about your book. Your new book is uh, your one life, own it, live it, love it. So in that, okay, we, we understand this is our one life, but what are those things where we're going to, we're going to own it, live it, love it. What if we're not loving it so much? How do, how do we start loving the life that we've been given that we found ourselves in lately? Yeah, gosh, well, there's a, a lot there to unpack. I, I think understanding, you know, why you're put on the earth, understanding your unique wiring, making sure that you are paying attention to those things. I think some of it also go, a lot of this, Alan, honestly, just goes back to self-leadership, that you are responsible for your life. And I think I'm not, you know, yes, I'm impacted by my past, but I'm not a victim. And so I've got to be clear about what really is matters to me, what my values are, and you know, not let a thousand other voices dictate what I should be giving my life to. Uh, I use this little formula a lot called clarity plus courage plus calendar equals a great life. And that you got to get clear about what you believe, what your values are. Then you got to have the courage to align your life around what you say your values are. And at the end of the day, it comes down to how do you spend your time and what ends up on your calendar. Mm. And so I think for a lot of us, we got to grab our calendar by the throat and we've got to begin to make sure that our, our calendar is a reflection of our values and that we are courageously aligning our life around the things that we say are most important to us. And I think one of the most practical areas, Alan, where this comes into play is the whole issue of, having a healthy rhythm of life mm-hmm. um, where, we, you know, kind of a mantra I use in my ministry is we want to work hard and unplug hard. And I think as pastors, we have not been very good at self-care. Mm-hmm. And so again, if I were sitting down for that cup of coffee with a pastor, I would say, hey, I, I want you to know, I want to look you in the eye and tell you, self-care is not selfish, it's good stewardship you taking care of the one and only life and body and emotions and relationships that you have that is actually stewarding well and makes you a better person so that now you can be a better leader and a better pastor and so i think if i was going to say one place where you could start to get back to the life you want is really look at your schedule and begin to put the big rocks in first of, of a healthy rhythm and put some fun and some life and some recreation into your life as well. That's good. So when you talk about self-care, give us some examples of what that looks like. Well, I think for some of us, it's, a, it's as simple as 
am I actually getting a good night of sleep? And mm. am I actually getting to bed at a decent hour? I think uh, for me, self-care is, uh, am I feeding on things that are healthy for me? So for example, am I spending all my time on social media, which just promotes envy and stress in me? Or am I actually feeding on things that are good for my soul? Um, I think self-care could also be like, hey, me and my spouse getting a date night mm. every couple of weeks or every week to, to actually care for our relationship. And by the way, I put up a firewall around that. Mm -hmm. Or in my case, Alan, you know a little bit about my Saddleback story. When I came out of Saddleback, I had nothing that I did hobby-wise or recreation-wise. Because I remember when people would invite me to go for a bike ride or play golf, I would think to myself, do you know how much work I can get done? Mm -hmm. And that was very short-sighted. And so in the last few years, I've taken up golf fly fishing. I like to bike. I love the mountains, love to hike. You know, what is it that puts life in your tank mm -hmm. that you need to build into the rhythm of your life? And again, somebody may listen to that and go, oh, that feels selfish. And I'm going, no, actually, it makes you a better person that's going to, in the end, make you a better leader. And by the way, when you're healthy, your team and everybody else is going to like you a lot more. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I saw someone on, on the internet, oh, I'm guilty being online, but um, basically said that God didn't call us to self-care. He called us to self-sacrifice. And I thought that's kind of like right up there with the people that said, you know, you can sleep when you're dead, yeah. you know, which I think you're going to be dead a lot sooner, maybe. But you see, Jesus, Jesus went away to a quiet place to pray. So he wasn't like, you know, okay, let's find the next 5,000. Let's find the next lunch. Right. Let's get this thing done. You know, so obviously, but I think there, there is that thing. Years ago, there was a book. I think the title was something that the amounted to when I relax, I feel guilty. Yeah. And that, that, that drive, that compulsion. I mean, the average adult in the U.S. touches their smartphone 2,600 times a day. Yeah, I mean, just if we cut back on our smartphone use, then you'd have a lot of time for self-care. Yeah, and I think you've <laughs> got to ask yourself, like, you know, the why questions behind why I fill up every second, why I can't relax, why I can't be still, why I can't be quiet. Uh, yeah, I think there's some external things around managing your calendar that matter, but there are also some internal things. I remember this years ago, I was kind of working with my calendar and people could probably say I'm a little obsessed with my schedule and calendar. And, but it was like the Holy Spirit just took the spotlight off my calendar, put it on my soul and asked me the question, Lance, why are you so driven? Mm -hmm. Why are you so compulsively busy all the time? Why can you not say no to anything? Like what's behind that? And what I began to realize, Alan, is that this was a soul care issue for me. Mm -hmm. This was a, Lance is driven in an unhealthy way. And I had to address some of like what was behind some of that because just rearranging the externals was never going to win the battle long term. I had to get down to some of the core issues inside of me about why I was so driven, why I couldn't relax, why I couldn't stop. That's why, you know, one of the big game changers for me was learning to practice Sabbath. Mm -hmm. But I got to tell you, when I first started, I hated it. <laughs> because I didn't know how to be still or stop or not work. And even if I was stopped on the outside, I was still revving on the inside. And so it was like a, a car that's parked, but the engine's running and the, and the RPMs are redlining. 
that's how I was. And I had to learn how to slow down internally, not just externally. I think there's this, this dual journey that every person is on, a leader is on. It's the internal, but also the external. And we keep trying to rearrange the external without dealing with the internal. Yeah. So you're saying that it was a process before you became the pastor of chill. A long process. I was kind of joking with you before that it seems like those of us who found an element of margin, we found a little more balance in our life, have all uh, walked away from successful churches and become consultants. I I don't know that that's necessarily the key because somebody needs to lead these churches, but Let's talk about how how do you strike that balance between leading a, I'm going to use the word successful and people can interpret however they want. How can you lead a successful church and yet live your life successfully in, you know, who God made you to be and live, you know, live out your faith successfully? Where, how do you strike that balance? Well, I think one, it is a process. Um, and so you got to give, you realize this is a long play. This is not a short-term thing. Um, I think for me, part of it, Alan, was honestly really beginning for the first time in my life to really pay attention to my own soul and what I needed as a, as a person and a leader to be healthy at the level of, of my own soul. And that had been an area so neglected. Now, I would have theologically obviously known I had a soul. I just wouldn't have really paid attention to the fact that I should care for my soul and nurture my soul and Uh, be attentive to what's happening inside of me. And so I think that's a big piece of the equation. And and I think what I've learned over now 15 years is soul care is the operating system of my life, not just an app that I download Mm. and add to, to the 100 other apps in my life. And I feel like that's where a lot of leaders go. It's like, yeah, I need a little more rest and I need a Sabbath and I need a personal retreat. And I go, well, what you really need is a new operating system. And the operating system is I'm going to pay attention first to my inner life and try to lead then externally out of that healthy place. The other thing I'd say, I think you, a pastor, you have to really deal with on this one is you have to come to the place where you go, my ministry is not my life. Jesus is my life. And I love Deuteronomy 30, where it just says for the, these six words close out the chapter for the Lord is my life. Mm. And Jesus being your life is not the same as your church or your ministry being your life. And so you have to detach yourself from finding all your worth and significance in your ministry and go, Hey, I, my job one is to abide in the vine and to stay connected to Jesus and to lead out of the overflow of that. But when I put it all on the church and then I end up empty, that is not a fun place from which to do ministry. Oh, and plus we don't have like the five strategic steps to abiding successfully. No. And that's, and, and for some of us, that drives us nuts. Work that way. <laughs> you know, that's hard. Okay. So let's, we'll kind of end with this, but Think of the pastor, his schedule's packed, his life is busy. Maybe he doesn't have the staff that he did because of, you know, COVID. But he's, some of this is resonating with him. Okay. He needs to get into some soul care. What, what's, what's a good first step? What's a good place to start? Um, I would say a good first step would be one, just start reading some of the great resources that are out there 
on topics of soul care. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I when I wrote my book, Replenish, now it's been out more than a decade, Alan. And, and honestly, I don't feel like I had a lot of answers when I wrote the book. I just knew I, I wanted a life different than the one I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, my book, Replenish, is really... I think trying to sort through that in my in my own way. And so a lot of people are invited into my story as as they go through replenish. I think Ruth Haley Barton's book Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership is a great read for someone who wants to have a healthy soul while doing ministry. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, establish a healthy rhythm. Figure, you know, start doing some research and studying Sabbath because, and here's the thing I often say to pastors, you need a theological conviction about the practice of Sabbath, because Hmm. if you don't have one, I don't give you a snowball's chance of actually integrating it into your life because the gravitational pull of busyness is so crazy in our world these days that it's so countercultural that it's an extreme sport for a leader. And so I think you need to have your own journey around what do I really believe about this thing called rhythm and rest and Sabbath and get that sorted out. And if you can put that one in there, I think it can be a game changer for you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Somebody online the other day was saying, was asking what people thought of uh, John Mark Comer's book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Yeah, and that's a my, great book. Yeah, and my reply was that a friend of mine had given me a copy of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, but I wasn't in a hurry to read it, so it was working already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. Oh, well, we'll end on my funny, I guess. But yeah. Lance, thank you. Thank you so much. Now I understand when I reach out to you and say, hey, could you meet with this group? Hey, could you do this podcast? And you're like, let me look at my calendar. How about three months from now? Now I understand, you know, good. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to be more intentional, um, to, to really get, live my life and align my schedule around what I say are my priorities. So, well, Lance, thank you. Thank you for your life, for your ministry. And, uh, thank you. The example that you are to pastors, because it's, it speaks a lot. Well, thank you, Alan. I, I, Always enjoyed our relationship and so grateful for what you do for the kingdom of God and the body of Christ. Thank you. If you enjoyed the Exponential Groups podcast, were you aware that I also have another podcast? The Healthy Groups podcast is a weekly blog cast where I share small group and discipleship strategies every single week. For more information, go to alanwhite.org forward slash podcast.